Father, I thank you for the worship today. I thank you for the ways that we can gather and be with you and be with one another. Uh, Lord, I pray that today as we get into the word that you would be with us, that you would be among us, that you would speak uh, to us and that Holy Spirit, that you would prepare our hearts to receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So good morning or afternoon or good night, wherever, uh, what time you are watching in the words of Tiffany. Good to uh, be with everyone today. Uh, I was supposed to preach on Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 to chapter 4, verses 1, which goes over the rules of Christian relationships and dynamics. Uh, then I realized nobody wants another 53-minute sermon from me, uh, so I cut it down to Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 to 19, uh, and breaking it up. Uh, and what we have been doing the last few weeks is we have been diving into what Christian maturity looks like. Paul has gone over uh, what heresy will try to get people to do, how it will paint a different picture of Christian maturity. And we saw that the heresy specifically that was coming into the Colossian church was trying to get them really into visions and, and angels and Old Testament regulations. But he says, no, knowing more about that is not what Christian maturity looks like. And then uh, we dove into and we've been listening and reading through what true Christian maturity uh, is. And so this week, we are going to dive into what maturity looks like in your relationships. Uh, specifically, Paul talks about relationships between husbands and wives, uh, parents and children, masters and servants. Uh, today, we're going to be talking specifically about marriage. And I am going to imagine the silence that would come over the auditorium if I was preaching this live as I read the scriptures I'm going to be reading today. Uh, because you know, you all know, I enjoy uh, a good silent audience preaching. Um, that means it's juicy, it means there's a lot to take in, and it means usually that we're co covering a controversial topic, which today we will be doing. In today's culture, uh, the, the verses that I'll be reading today are probably the most controversial in all of Colossians. Not the heresies, uh, that's not the most controversial. Uh, not the gospel, actually, that we've read, which is considered controversial still in a lot of places, but I think the home and how it functions is probably today the most controversial verses in Colossians, which we're going to be going over. But I want to say, before you dismiss, if, as we read the verses in a minute, before you dismiss the biblical framework for a family, ask yourself, what are you comparing a biblical family and framework to? Do you really think that today's broken image of a family and of relationship, specifically a married relationship between a man and woman, do you think that today's broken familial framework is a better model than what scripture guides us in? Statistics show that marriages of committed Christ followers actually have a 35% less chance of ending in divorce and 53% of all very happy married couples agreed with the statement that God is at the center of their marriage. 
So I pray that at the end of this sermon today, that you have a deeper understanding of what a Christian marriage should look like and a better appreciation for how and why God structures a marriage the way that he does. So let's read it. What am I talking about today? If you haven't figured it out. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Yes, like I said, this is only two verses that I'll be preaching on today, but because of our cultural climate, our historical misrepresentation of these verses and our modern bias, there is a lot to unpack in these verses. And so we're gonna spend a lot of time diving into what this means and into the cultural context of what Paul is talking about here and how this applies to us today. So we're gonna start with verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. First, I wanna look at uh, and get some cultural understanding here. Culturally, if you look at what Paul is talking about, one argument that uh, constantly comes up when we get these uh, rules for households or friendships or different understandings was how much was the author, the biblical author, borrowing from the culture around him? And is it just for that culture? Or how much is this a biblical mandate for all people at all time? And so what we can do is we can look at how Paul, when he was writing this, actually took from two different uh, cultural viewpoints, from the Hellenistic or the Greek viewpoint, which was the majority culture at that time, from the, the Jewish viewpoint, which is the one that Paul uh, was raised and taught in, combine some of those and then put his own unique spin on what Christian, uh, a Christian household should look like. So first, uh, looking at the Hellenistic house rules, uh, when the, the Greeks would talk about how a family structure should look like, uh, they would focus on the people in power. And so thinking about uh, the different dynamics of relationships that are in this section, the Greeks, uh, their relationship rules would only speak to the husbands, uh, the parents, and the masters. They would not speak to the women, uh, to the children, and to the servants, giving them equal share in the responsibility. All the responsibility would lay on uh, the father, the parents, or the masters in those relational dynamics. The Jewish house rules were actually different. It was a flip of that, where they focused on the opposite. They would focus at that time on the women, the children, and the servants, not giving equal responsibility to the husbands, parents, and the masters. And so when they spoke to the household, they would give the responsibilities uh, to, the, to the wife, to the children, and to the servants, not looking at the other side like the Greek culture would do. What Paul does here that is very different from each one is he gives equal responsibilities to both the wives um, and to the husbands while giving them a motivation that is not seen anywhere in the ancient world, which the motivation given that Paul gives, he says two things, as is fitting to the Lord and as is pleasing to the Lord. So all motivations, Paul is saying here, is centered in one thing. It's centered around Christ. All of our healthy relationships, the motivation, the, the walking out of, the practice of those are centered in Christ. So Paul takes some of the Greek, he takes some of the Jewish, 
He combines it into a specifically Christian understanding of relationships and then grounds it as we ground everything as Christians in in Christ-like motivation, as we should be doing in everything in our life. Uh, So first we looked at cultural understanding. Next, I want to look at what this does not say, what this does not say. Uh, Because when we read this verse, most likely we are going to be taking our cultural lens and our cultural understanding of relational dynamics and we'll, we'll be putting them on top of what Paul is saying here. And so we're putting words in his mouth. We're, we're going to most likely uh, unconsciously be applying things to Paul that he is not saying. So I think it's important to go over a couple of things that Paul is not talking about here. Here's one thing that Paul is not saying. Paul does not say, husbands, make your wives submit to you. Paul does not say, husbands, make your wives submit to you. This is willful obedience on the wife's part. This is willful obedience on the wife's end. Paul is speaking to the the wives here. He's not speaking to the husbands. Uh, Meaning it is not the job of a husband to forcibly bring submission to his wife. This is important because I've seen the scriptures misinterpreted here where the husband will think it is my job to bring my wife into submission. Uh, And if that sounds bad, it is because it is bad. This is not what Paul is saying here. This is not the job of the husband to forcibly bring submission to his wife. This is a choice that the wife makes to please Christ. I'm gonna say that again. This is a choice that the wife makes to please Christ. Husbands should never throw this in their wife's face to get them to comply. Uh, I was talking to one married couple and um, they had just got married and come back from their honeymoon and you know, rookie mistake that the guy made. Uh, He told his wife, you know, the Bible says, wives, submit to your husband, so you better do what I say. There's a lot of things wrong with that statement, as I've already started to unpack. Uh, let me tell you that his wife's response to him uh, made sure that never again in their marriage, in their years of marriage, did he throw those verses uh, in her face. And, and this is wisdom for, for, for the men, that this is, this is not what Paul intended, that we would take this verse, throw it into our spouse's face and say, this is what you're supposed to do, you better do it. That is not Christ-like. This is, this is not the way of the gospel. Um, Paul is speaking to the wives and he is letting them know that this is something that they are supposed to do, that they make the choice of doing on their own as is fitting in Christ. And so husbands, Uh, should never be in a place where you are putting this in your wife's face, trying to force it down her throat and force her to comply uh, to this. That is not the way of the Lord. See, the wife is seen as having autonomy that, and how Paul is speaking to her, that she is being spoken to with dignity and making the decision with dignity. This is not something that takes away the autonomy and the personal dignity of wives in marriage. In fact, it's the complete opposite uh, in the, you know, Christianity came from the Jewish uh, culture and the culture around them, it was giving wives the dignity uh, along with 
male dignity as husbands. And so saying, as an individual, this is what is being put in front of you, that this is what is being spoken to you, that you now have the dignity on your own to be able to make this decision. Next thing that this doesn't say, it does not say women submit to men. It does not say women submit to men. See, this is only in the context of marriage. This is not the universal law of the world. If a man cannot be led by a woman, by a woman, if a man cannot be led by a woman, that is pride and that is chauvinism. That is pride and that is chauvinism. We have plenty of examples of women leadership in scripture, and we have plenty of examples of women leadership over men in scripture. See, a lot of times these verses will be taken out of context and they will be placed not as uh, wives and husbands, but in the context of men and women. And so in, in this context, it would be that uh, all the place of all women at all times is to always take an act of submission to all men at all times. And that is not what the scripture is saying. In fact, we explicitly see that is not true in the scripture in many places in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And so whenever there is somebody teaching that, they are putting on their chauvinistic cultural lens and taking the scriptures out of context in order to stay in a place of power, usually men trying to stay in a place of power in all realms of society. And so we, we even have a script, uh, examples in scripture of women taking a lead when men fail in their responsibilities. So we cannot misapply this as a universal rule for all women to all men outside of the context confines of a marriage covenant. And, and many times when we read a verse like this, we apply it uh, as a general rule for each gender, which is not what Paul was trying to do. And we have to be careful to make sure that we're not doing today. The third thing that this does not say, it does not say that women are less than or inferior to men. And we need to make sure that that is clearly spoken because again, as this historically verse has been taken out of context and misapplied, it has been applied in a way that has either explicitly or implicitly said that women are not equal to or are inferior to men. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul gives equality of dignity before God of all people. I'm going to read that verse for you now because it's very important. Galatians chapter 3 verse 27 and 28 to 29, it says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is either there, there is no male and female, for you all, for if you are all one in Christ Jesus, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise. This brings equality of dignity and personhood to both genders, to no matter what status or class or gender you are, this says that we are all equal before the cross. And in fact, this is so groundbreaking that the inheritance was only specifically for the firstborn male son 
But Paul is saying, no, we are now all equal co-heirs with Christ's inheritance. Whether you're a male or female, slave or free, it doesn't matter, Greek or Jew, you are now co-heirs with Christ. We are all the same before God. We are all equal. We have equal dignity before him. There is not one that is greater than the other. One thing we have to remember is that equality of dignity and personhood does not mean the same roles. Right? Look at the Trinity. You have Jesus and the Father. You know that they are one. No one would debate that one is less than the other. And if you do try debating that, then you are a heretic. This has been proven over and over and over again in church history that if you try to make that debate, that scripture explicitly proves the opposite, that they are one. They are of the same substance. They are the same. So no one would debate that one is less than the other. But Jesus is clearly in a submissive role to the Father. So scripture teaches that they have different roles, but both are equally important and valued. And valued. So we have to understand that in our cultural, uh, in our cultural lens, in the world's cultural lens, we look at roles and we implicitly assign value to a role. And so if we look at a CEO of a company, we, we look at, we, we, we assign money to that person. Usually the CEO makes the most money. And so we, we have assigned the CEO, which is the top job, the top leader in a company, and we've said, your title and your role gives you the most value. Well, in the kingdom of God, that is not true. That is the way of the world. Because people have certain roles that does not assign them greater value in the kingdom of God, you know, actually it's many times we see Jesus proves the opposite point that the one uh, who is last shall be first. And uh, we, we see that the place of title or the place of role is a place of servanthood. And we're going to get into that a little bit more later. Um, but we have to understand that role does not assign value of personhood or dignity. Everybody, how God has created the world, he has created different roles for every creature, every person, every type. And that does not mean that he looks at us with different values or different dignity or taking away our personhood. We are all equal. Clearly, as it says in Galatians 3, we're all co-heirs with Christ. This is something that all of us share in. And we are all Abraham's offspring, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, as Paul said in Galatians 3. So if Paul is not saying any of these things, if he's, if he's not saying that husbands make your wives submit to you, that's not the husband's job. If he's not saying women submit to men universally, if he's not saying women are less than or inferior to men, what is he saying? What, what does the scripture say here? Well, really, it's a question, uh, he says, wives, submit to your husbands. And the question then comes into play, what does submit mean? Well, if you look at the different or various ways that Greek word is used, I would say it's used in a, in a way that if we look at just that word in different contexts, we would understand it. To submit oneself, which means I have the autonomy to place myself under somebody else, to obey. To yield to one's admission or, or admonition um, or advice. 
Many times this word subject was used in the military. To be subject to someone in the military was to acknowledge someone's leadership role, to acknowledge somebody's role. Again, it's important to understand difference between assigned roles and assigned value, where we are all assigned different roles, but we are not assigned different value as people. And so there's, there's a verse in Ephesians 5 that is a parallel to what we see here in Colossians, and it, it goes in a little bit more in depth. And so Paul goes in a little bit more in depth for wives, and he goes a little bit more in depth for husbands, and we'll read the husband's ones later. So Ephesians 5, uh, verse 22, 23 and 24, it says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Again, talking about roles here, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. The relationship is described as the relationship between the church and Christ. We see that in the kingdom of God, there is constant submission to one another. We see the church submits to Christ. We see that Christ submits to the Father. We wouldn't say that the, the church or Jesus or the Father are, un, are, are unvaluable or unworthy. We would just say they have different roles to play out. And so the relationship here that Paul describes is the relationship between church and the Christ. We submit as the church to Christ as our leader. He says, in parallel, wives submit to their husbands as a leader. That is the role. And so if we've come to this point, ladies, and if you don't like how that sounds, uh, that's, you're absolutely able to say, I don't like how that sounds. But before you turn me off and move on, I just want to say, Wait until we, you fully understand what this means for men uh, before you check out or you just say, I don't like what Justin is saying. Two things to remember here as well, ladies, um, that Paul is describing uh, an ideal marriage where both parties know and follow Jesus. That's important for the context of both of these verses, verse 18 and 19, Paul is describing an ideal situation where both the wife and the husband follow and love Jesus. And so it is very important then to know who you are marrying and why you should not just jump into any relationship hastily. It's very important. For all my single ladies out there, here are some good questions to ask yourself before marriage. Will my husband be a good leader to me? It's a good question to ask. If you cannot trust his leadership as just a regular person, then you will never be able to trust his leadership as your husband. Another good question, can I see myself submitting without bitterness? Because if you are both Christian walking into this, then and, and there's going to be a place of bitterness, that's a good question to ask of do I want to walk into, as a Christ follower, into a marriage that is centered around Christ, which would then call me to do the things that Christ calls me to do? Another question to ask is, am I marrying a future picture of my man that doesn't exist yet, or am I okay with who he is now? I counsel a lot of people in relationships 
that are moving towards marriage. And something that I come across constantly is, oh, he'll change. Oh, he'll change, or, or he won't be like that forever. And here's the thing, ladies, you don't know if that's true. And in fact, it is not your job to change your husband. And if you take it on as your role, again, talking about roles here, to change your husband, that is not the role of a wife. In scripture, the role of transformation for any person is the role of the Holy Spirit. And so if you as a wife think that your husband is gonna change or that you are going to change him as your wife, then you are going to be in for a rude awakening because I can tell you that it is only a miracle that changes the heart of men and women. And you cannot perform a miracle in somebody's life. Only the Holy Spirit can perform a miracle in somebody's life. And so if you walk into a marriage thinking that, oh, he is going to change, then guess what? You are going to be in a, what will most likely be a very, very hard road ahead of you because you will find out very quickly that you cannot change uh, your husband. In fact, um, the more you try to change your husband on a personal level, most likely the more resistant I have seen the husband becoming to change. And so if you cannot look at the person that you are about to get married to, ladies, for all my single ladies out there, and you cannot say with confidence that I love who I am going to marry, there is nothing that needs to be changed, or I am okay with their flaws, then I would advise, be wary before walking into that marriage. Okay, so let's move on to husbands. Verse 19, husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Paul gives the husbands a firm command here. Love your wives. This word love is never used in the marital context in ancient Greek literature. It was unheard of to ask of men what Paul was asking of husbands right here in this verse. And if you think, why? Uh, why is that unheard of? It's because most likely you are thinking of the wrong definition of love. See, I've said this several times already in this series, and I'm going to say it again. The word love is not an affectionate or sexual word. This does not mean that he knows how to hug you real well. He knows how to kiss you. It doesn't mean that he makes love really well. It doesn't mean any of that. The word love here is grounded in action-oriented meaning. This has a lot of action in it. It has a lot of things that have more to do with the normal life and the routines of how the husband acts towards a person in their regular everyday life, how they act towards their wife, rather than how well they can kiss them, hug them, and make love to them in our terminology today. And so there's two scriptures that I think are very important for us to bring in here. Uh, one of them is the one that David St. Jean preached on last week when he was talking about what to put on. Paul gives us a definition of what it looks like as a mature Christian to walk in love. In, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, just a few verses before this, he says, "...put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts." kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. 
right? As Paul is comparing the role of the church to Christ, so when he talks about the husbands loving the wife, he's bringing in all the meaning of what Jesus has done for the church, all the meaning of love, and he is now applying it to how the husband needs to act in the marriage towards his wife, which means that there is bearing with one another, there is forgiving each other, there is compassion, there is kindness, there is humility, there is meekness, there is patience. This is what it means to love your wife. In the world, they will tell you to be a good lover as a husband means that you know how to have sex really well, that you are experienced in this. And one of the questions I constantly get about people that are wondering, why don't we as Christians have sex before marriage when experience sexually is important when you get into marriage because you want to have, quote unquote, a, unquote, a loving relationship or a good sexual relationship? Well, you are looking at the wrong important things. Yes, sex is important in a marriage. Yes, it's important uh, uh, for a good marriage and a healthy marriage, but understanding loving another person and loving each other well actually has nothing to do with sex. And I would argue that the more you can love somebody, the more you can be selfless, the more you can uh, be sacrificing, the more that you can be humble and forgiving, the better you will be in a sexual relationship with your partner because what makes for great sex? It is always understanding the other person. It is not about understanding yourself. And so when we look at today's cultural understanding of men need to be good lovers, we are talking about a sexual experience, but scripture is talking about very specific action-oriented things that mean a lot more in marriage than sex. In Ephesians chapter 5, the parallel that we brought in before, again, Paul talks about husbands and he expands. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that, he might be, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Men, the charge of leadership in the home is not for you to live comfortable lives and to have your way. That is not what leadership in the home means. Jesus clearly states that this is how the Gentiles view leadership, to lord it over the other person so that they can have more privileged power and comfort. No, that is far from the way of the kingdom. That is not how kingdom leadership works. The command to love in Scripture is a command for deep sacrifice and of deep service. One theologian put it this way, and I loved it. He said, the command to love your wife means this, unceasing care and loving service for her entire well-being. That means this, practically speaking, that when Heather and I both have a different way of doing things or a different way that we want to go in our life, there are three options that me as her husband, I need to consider. 
The first option is what she wants. The second option is what I want. And the third option is what God wants. And guess what? Husbands, this is what this means. If God doesn't care what time we throw out the garbage, then to love and sacrifice for my wife, leadership doesn't mean that we throw out the garbage when I want to throw out the garbage. Leadership means that I wash her with the word by doing what she has requested. Leadership is sacrificing my own desires and my own wants. It is sacrificing my will and it is doing as Jesus did, that he sacrificed his own body for the church. And he says, husbands, this is what you do for your wives. This is love, that you would die for your wife. Let me tell you, husbands, you may talk a good game that you would take a bullet for your wife, but don't give me that garbage if you won't even get off the couch to get her water because you're comfortable watching TV. See, the call to love and why this is never found in ancient Greek literature, this type of love that Paul calls husbands to do is because it is really a call to sacrifice. It is really a call to lay down our privilege to lay down our comfort, to lay down our convenience and say that I will do the way that Jesus showed me. I will walk the way that Jesus walked, which is to lay down my life. Even when, scripture says we did not deserve it. So you are not men, husbands, you are not to take tally what you have done good in the house and what your wife has not done good, the things that she has done to bother you and the things that you have done well in the house, that is not sacrifice. Sacrifice is looking at the issue in your marriage and looking at the ways that your wife bothers you and the things that she does bothers you and saying, what is it that I can change in myself rather than what is it that I am going to change in her? It is how can I sacrifice on a deeper level in this marriage and love my wife well rather than what am I going to force her to do better? This is Christian marriage. This is what it means to be a husband who does what is pleasing to the Lord. I actually shudder at times at the biblical structure of marriage because I know the implications of what it means. I know it is more work than I naturally will ever want to put in. But man, is it pleasing to the Lord when a husband learns to put the needs of his wife over his own needs. Man, is it pleasing to the Lord when a man realizes his leadership isn't to get his own way but love means not getting your own way, as is told us so many times in Scripture. It is pleasing to the Lord when you rise up as a leader in your home and lay down your life for your wife and not force her to lay down hers for you. Ladies, you cannot get the care of a leader if you are not willing to have a leader 
in the home. If you do not want a leader, that is fine. You can choose not to. But you will be following a different blueprint for a godly home and will have to deal with the consequences of that blueprint. As I started off in the beginning of the sermon, you may be quick to dismiss the biblical framework as old school or how they did things back then, but ask yourself, again, ask yourself, what are you comparing it to? Is there really a better framework around today that does not lead to brokenness and destruction in marriages? I would argue that there is not. In fact, statistically, it is proven that there is not, that the way of the world is and has always been worse than the way of Christ and the Bible. I have seen all of God's ways lead me to life. And so I trust him in this way too. Can you pray with me? Father, I pray for the marriages in our church that exist now, the future ones that are coming to be, and for all of our single people that are considering what marriage may look like for them in the future. Lord, and I pray that we would not succumb to the ways of the world, the lens of the world, the culture of this world, and that we would not allow culture to inform us on things that you have informed us on. Instead, God, that I, would, I pray that you would remind us that the ways of the world lead to destruction, but the ways of our God lead to life and life everlasting, to peace, to joy, to being content. Remind us, God, when we are tempted to go another way, whether as husbands, Lord, to lead from a place of dominance, force, and comfort, Lord, or as wives, Lord, to throw away the scripture as old. Father, I pray that you would help us to walk out what it means to be a husband and a wife, grounded and centered and firm on Christ so we can walk out this life together and see it walked out abundantly in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.